Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome to the Four Pest Podcast, presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and this week my guest is Adam Woodard. Adam is a reporter with Golf Week, GolfWeek.com, as well as USA Today Sports. And in the podcast you're about to hear, Adam and I talk at length about Daniel Berger, who won last week at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am that did not feature the, any of the AMs. Um, an eagle on 18 at Pebble makes for a pretty damn good victory. So congratulations to Daniel Berger. Adam and I also talked at length about Jordan Spieth and almost too good to be true, a second week of really good golf from the three-time major winner. We talk about what we hope and think might happen as he prepares to go another week. We'll be playing at Riviera. We also talk a little bit about Pebble Beach as a venue and how the, the absence of amateur golfers in the field last week at Pebble may have changed the way that the tournament felt, the way the tournament played. And is that a good thing or a bad thing going forward for the PGA Tour? We also discussed the use of laser rangefinders at the PGA Championship coming up at Kiowa, as well as other PGA of America events in 2021, and then give a very quick but very cool preview of the Genesis Invitational, which is going to be held this week at one of my favorite golf courses on the tour. They're going to be at Riviera, Los Angeles. Really, really tasty stuff. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. So now making his triumphant return to the Four Press Podcast, I'd like to welcome Adam Woodard, who, contrary to popular belief, is not the instigator of the gunplay going on in his neighborhood in Washington, D.C. Adam, how are you, pal? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Trying to stay warm with all this stuff going on. I know you had a nice little trip recently, too, but you're back home, too. So hopefully everyone's all staying warm and healthy and happy and uh, have a good little trip, I heard. Yeah, it was an abrupt and harsh return to reality. So um, I was in Arizona working on a project that we can't really talk about just yet, but it'll be up on golfweek.com coming soon. And I tried to be the really good dad and husband, and my duties were pretty much done Saturday morning, what was, uh, let's see here, February the 13th. Now, Sunday, obviously, being Valentine's Day, I have an 11-year-old daughter. I'm happily married. Um, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to change my flights because I was supposed to take a red eye back Saturday night into Sunday morning and get back going through Detroit uh, at around 11 o'clock, 1130, something like that, Sunday morning. And then by the time I get to my house, it's one. And I'm like, oh, I can get out earlier. And it'll <laughs> be better to get home, leaving Phoenix at like two, going through Detroit, pick up a flight and land at like 1030 Eastern time this year, this time of year. Phoenix, Arizona being on mountain time since they don't flip-flop with daylight savings yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So um, I get to the airport. My flight is delayed by 20 minutes. I'm like, no problem. So then 20 minutes turns into 40 minutes. Then I end up flying to Detroit and literally having to having been told when I checked my bag, you'll be fine, no problem. You're going to make your connection. Having been told at the gate in Phoenix, yeah, there's a delay, but no problem. You'll make your connection. You've got 40 minutes from the time you're scheduled to touchdown till the time the next one goes up. So don't don't dawdle, but hustle. Being told in the air by one of the flight attendants who couldn't have been nicer. 
no problem. I run from um, Terminal C to Terminal B in Detroit. So basically making this big U-turn, which involves going down some stairs, running through an underground tunnel, which basically has the tarmac going over you. Then coming up, running, mask on through the airport. Mm -hmm. And now like I'm inhaling fiberglass and cotton and God only knows what from the filters and all that kind of stuff. Only to have the gate, and I'm not joking because this is like literally right out of a movie, have the gate attendant close the door as I can see gate number 21, <laughs> which is where I needed to go, and then tell me, I'm sorry, sir, but once the gate is closed, the FAA regulates that we can't reopen it. The plane is right there. She just closed. Like There's still an echo from the sound of the gate door closing at C-21, and I end up spending the night in Detroit catching the same Place. flight the next morning that I would have been on had I taken the red eye and uh, it was all for naught. So it was just the best I, late I, travel plans go to waste. As I, I, I picked up roses on the way home. Needless <laughs> to say. It was just like, Oh man, I tried to do the right thing and I just got leveled out. But you know who did do the right thing this weekend? Who's that? Daniel, Daniel Berger did the right yeah, thing. Yeah, you did. Making Eagle on 18 at Pebble Beach to win the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am is definitely the right thing. What, uh, what were your impressions of the tournament overall? It was an awesome week. Uh, we, we got a little bit of everything. We got Spieth again, which was incredible. But seeing Daniel Berger go out there and th with what he did on Sunday, like I didn't think that number was going to be out there at Pebble on a Sunday with how the weather was going to be. It's going to be a little bit colder. It's not an easy course to go out and shoot under par, especially I think it was what a seven under 65. I think he might have fired off to go out and win. I didn't think that number was out there, but it was incredible. But frankly, you and I follow this game week to week. That's nothing new for us ever since the tour's return. Daniel Berger has been incredible since we came back he has been one of the most consistent players on tour by far so to see him come out and show that you know everyone's talking about speed everyone's getting all excited for him for him to go out and just take it i mean it was incredible to watch i think we got to we retreated to some awesome golf this week it wasn't the best field but i think the ending was what was it was incredible so it was what's interesting to me a couple things that, that are there obviously daniel berger won the charles schwab challenge at colonial yep. now that was back in june that was the first tournament that we came back from the covid layoff and you can make an argument that Colin Morikawa, who would go on to win a couple weeks later at the yeah. PGA Championship, sort of gifted him that one by by missing a short putt. Now, maybe Berger, if Morikawa makes that putt, still beats him. Um, maybe. What do you think in terms of when, when you think about the players that are sort of of Daniel Berger's age? I mean, at this point, he's 27 years old. So he's he's right there in the mix with what is really sort of the creme de la creme of young American players. The aforementioned Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas. Ricky Fowler is a little bit older than that. Um, but there is this group of young American players now who are in their late 20s. Berger is probably the one that we talk about the least. And how mm -hmm. much do you think about how much do you think that is attributable to the fact that he is sort of quiet by nature? He doesn't have a big game that that wows you. He doesn't hit it as far as, for example, yeah. Brooks Kepka. He doesn't roll it like Jordan Spieth was doing in his prime. He hasn't won a major yet. So when you think about his game, it's like it's really solid. But he doesn't draw a lot of attention to himself, does he? No, and like, I th but I think that's also for 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 pretty decent reason, based on you know the way that class of eleven, class of twenty eleven, out of high school played when they first got on the tour. I mean, Jordan came out like crazy. JT came out like crazy. When they won early on, Daniel Berger had success too, but just not to that not to that level. And then he's had some issues, some injury issues and stuff. Also, while I'm on it, Adam Woodard also 
product of the class of 2011. So I'm really sick and tired that my name doesn't get brought up in the likes of others. But that, that that's a whole nother discussion. And, and you've got as many majors as Daniel Berger's one. So as many on, majors, as many as Ricky too, and everyone's talking about him too. But hey, that's that's a whole nother discussion though. But yeah, he's a very quiet person and he is pretty reserved. But when you get him on the course and when, when he's in form, and I know he's had injury issues and stuff, so I think it was a wrist injury maybe. Um, don't put me on that. But now that he's healthy and, and playing back, I think this is going to be something we're going to see for a while. I think we're going to see him contending for a while because he does a lot of things really well. I'm not sure he does too many things great. He's sort of the jack of a lot of trades, master of none, but he's very good on the course. I think he stays within his game. Um, but if, if you follow him on Instagram, DB straight vibing, it is just boats and stuff all the time. If you follow him on Instagram, you're going to become more of a fan of him. I promise. He's, he seems like he's a pretty down to earth guy. And he does every he does everything that everybody will want to do. You go play golf for a living, go fishing, hanging on the boat, hang out in Florida. It's not a bad life. So I can tell you, having been at the President's Cup a few years ago, he played President's Cup and played mm -hmm. one of the team matches with Brooks Kapka. Yep. And to have their two girlfriends sort of going in, um, his girlfriend's name is Tori. Obviously, Jenna Sims being at the time and still with you know right now with with Brooks, the cat calls coming out at Liberty National from the crowd were epic in proportions it was unbelievable like the, people couldn't care less about the golf and the american yeah. team won and they played great um it was hysterical though to hear the guys who were shall we say well hydrated late yeah. on that afternoon yelling down um at, at those two and in some ways it was really funny to me because daniel berger is like i said sort of quiet by nature along the way outside the ropes with that group was his dad Jay Berger. Now, I know Jay from my tennis days um, after I mm -hmm. graduated from college, which was well after, or excuse me, I should say well before, pardon me, well before 2011, well before. Um, Jay was up as high as number four in the world on the ATP tour, professional tennis player. I used to go and watch him a couple times a year play in person. He was a fantastic grinder, much like Daniel, underappreciated for all the things he did, never won a major, but, but was a solid, solid player. And I think that there's an advantage sometimes to kids coming out who have not just famous parents, so they have the means and they have the ability to get coaching and access to that stuff, but but to get somebody who has the experience of being an elite athlete and exactly yeah. what that means and how they can coach. We're seeing that potentially with the Corda sisters. Um, yeah. Their father was was also Petr, was a fantastic tennis player, did win a major. He won an Australian Open. I think one of the things that you could maybe attribute some of Dustin Johnson's success is being around Wayne Gretzky. Exactly. You know? and, and I think that was a huge help. How much of an advantage do you think that is? Or is that something that, that we can maybe just sort of connect some dots, but might not necessarily be something that's that big a deal, that this talent would have manifested itself anyways? I think talent is going to, like you said, talent manifests itself. I think it's the work ethic that it comes from that. It's, it's you know, a lot of these kids, they see their parents or they see their older siblings you know, they see the grind that it takes to be the best. Or I, I think anybody who has a mentor like that, now I think it's a massive benefit when that mentor is inside your own house, you know, and, and you're seeing it on a day-to-day -day basis. But I definitely think that's something that can't go understated. I actually didn't know that about uh, DB Straight Biden's dad, actually. So that's interesting interesting to see. But it's definitely it's definitely a benefit, and we're definitely seeing that manifested right now, too, for sure. So, so I mentioned the fact that he was outside the ropes because I was talking with him, and he was joking that, hold on a second, the girlfriend gets to go inside the ropes, but I, as the dad, have to stay outside the ropes, which at Liberty National makes for a long-ass walk. Yeah. Because you're going around swamps of Jersey, and you're going all over the place. It's a big ballpark. 
and Jay is hoofing it around, and I don't know how much he gets out to week-to-week tour events. He probably gets down to some of the Florida swing, and we can talk about Florida in a little bit. Um, it, I thought it was just really funny that here's a guy yeah. who who is that successful who couldn't go inside the ropes, and 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 I totally get it. Um, another guy who had a really big week, Jordan Spieth. Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost in my mind too much to hope for. And uh, last week I had Steve Demeglio on the podcast, and and we were really enthusiastic and he and i have been basically like you know buying all the jordan speed stock that we can buy for the last two years and, and it's been a long-term investment we have not mm-hmm. reaped a lot of rewards until two weeks ago what was your before we talk about the week that you had a pebble what was your expectation coming out of the previous week when you know he has a great showing at tpc scottsdale nearly wins you could argue should have won yeah, yeah. Um, until Brooks Kepka really put the hammer down, should have won Waste Management Phoenix Open. What did you think we were gonna get? Be honest, this week at Pebble, I was nervous when I saw him at the top of the leaderboard after fifty-four. Because I mean, I was, obviously you know no cheering in the press box, but when, when you when you write about people for so long and you watch as much golf as we do, you can't help but root for some of these people. And I don't know if you're if I'm rooting for the player or the person or the story being that you know the journalist and reporter that I am but it's it's hard not to root for Jordan there's just something about him that just it, it, he he brings you in and he's such a likable guy and so if but so it's but which makes it so much tougher when he has these struggles and he's like the last two years have just been or four years I guess have been just brutal of you know you, you get these glimpses and then it just falls off it's like the worst roller coaster ride in the world where it's yeah. like are so high and the lows are so low so i was nervous for him because i was just god he's just gonna get killed if he doesn't go out and do this and i think he shot one under on sunday it's not like he had a bad round he just didn't go out and win it and i think that's gonna take time but the one thing that i saw this week that i loved was comfort he looked so comfortable standing over every single and we haven't seen that in a week-to-week basis from Jordan. we've seen it you know in a every other round maybe or in a one round of tournament but we're seeing it for four consistent rounds now and that's something we haven't seen in a while so I'm ex- could not be more excited to see what he's going to do going forward. I think he's getting hot at the right time, and it's it's such a cliche. All the guys use it. We just want to get a little better every round. We want to get a little better every week. I think he's actually doing that, and it's it's. I hate saying that, and I hate using the cliche, but it's true. And we're seeing it week to week to week, and it's only going to get better going forward. I think whatever he's doing, he just needs to keep building on it. He seems to have found some sort of process that's working for him. And it's it's great to see him and Greller, you know, back in the grind again on a Sunday and hearing their conversations and stuff. It's golf is so much more fun when he's in the mix on Sunday. And I think we're gonna see a lot more of that this year. And it's gonna be an awesome year for golf. It was fascinating to hear the two of them really talking through the wedge shot onto 13. Yes. Um, where they're like, okay, it's uphill. Michael was Greller was feeling like, oh, there's gonna be wind, it's gonna play a touch longer. Jordan wasn't buying it. He wanted to no. flight one and low. And of course, as they almost always are. Caddy was right, and yeah. Jordan came up short left and was in the junk and didn't take advantage of the par fives um, really at all during the week. Yeah. Now, Spyglass can be challenging. You've got a par five down the hill straight out of the gate. It's it's a yeah. big downhill dog leg to the left, one of my favorite starting holes actually in golf. Um, and, yeah, I agree. Like Golf is a lot more fun when Jordan Spieth is in the mix, and I don't think that we're sort of out of bounds on that one because if you look at social media, when Jordan was in the mix at Waste Management Phoenix Open – People were going bananas. I think yeah. people were losing their mind that, oh my gosh, here's Jordan Spieth. It was almost as if we we saw a couple good rounds and we were anticipating the weekend blow up, which is what we've seen for the past couple of years is that there'll be a round here or there, maybe two good rounds. And then here comes a 78 and all of a sudden it's a T54 
for speed yeah. and then it was just seemed to like it was false hope we didn't see that you know and if no. the mistakes are leading to pars rather than doubles then you can start to live with it um jordan spieth has been historically one of the best putters on the pga tour like that's where his bread was always buttered and statistically because i'm just a, a stats wonk the last couple of weeks, he has obviously putted much better. But if you take a look at the 2020-2021 PGA Tour season, which, unbelievably, we're not halfway through it, but we're not at the start of it either because it goes yeah. all the way back to last October. And people still forget about that because guys' schedules get all kind of goofy. Some guys are playing over in Europe, and some guys are staying home, and other people are taking up. Right now, he ranks 83rd in strokes gained putting, which sort of tells you that as good as he's been for the last couple of weeks, he was god-awful at the beginning. And yeah. he is statistically still one of the worst drivers of the golf ball on the PGA mm -hmm. Tour. He ranks 207th in strokes gained off the tee. So the upside is tremendous. If, well, it shows how good his irons are too, right? Like, and, 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 and that just shows the progress he's made there where he's where if he's putting himself in bad positions, he's getting right back into good position the last two weeks. Sorry, sorry to cut out there, but I think his iron play has been just phenomenal the last couple of weeks too in, in particular. The only thing this season he can really hang his head on is his wedge game has been off the charts great. He ranks yeah. eighth in strokes gained around the green, which basically is a measure of all shots, um, not putts that are from 30 yards and in. So, you, so mm -hmm. once he's around the green, he's he's doing his job. He's leaving himself stuff, and, and that sort of makes sense. Um, it also doesn't feel like he's chasing distance maybe quite as much as it looked like. I talked at length with Peter Costas about this several months ago, mm -hmm. and he was of the opinion that Spieth, and his camp, Cameron McCormick, other people went on a conscious effort to try and hit the ball significantly farther. And in doing that, it got him away from what he really does well, which was hit a reasonable number of fairways. Uh, he wasn't short, but he was never going to really be as long as Bryson, certainly, or DJ or Rory or any of these guys. But the camp takes a look and sees that's where the game is going. It leads them down a path that maybe isn't great. And then sort of one thing spirals into another. And before you know it, it's 18 or 24 months and we haven't had success and we're adrift. Yeah. It seems like he's coming out of that, which is great because at his peak, um, Apex Jordan Spieth was an absolute assassin with the irons, as you sort of mentioned. And his iron play still has some work to do. And I think a lot of it has to do with faith and making sure that the more that he gets in these situations, the more he trusts that he's going to be able to put it close. Yeah. And when he doesn't put it close the mistake is going to leave himself something that he can live with. And now we're going to par rather than the mistake being short into the water or yeah, long got, into different places. I got a question for you. So you're obviously, you're way more in the, you know, in, 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 the, in the golf history than I am, you know, more than I do. I'm still, you know, two years into the golf reporting game. So I got it. And that wasn't, that wasn't an old shot. It wasn't a shot. Yeah. got it. Okay. Experience. Go ahead. Experience. Experience. So it, it seems like we, there's always so many just, bad stories of guys chasing distance and it all goes wrong. Like how have players not learned this yet? That chasing distance, that chances are there's going to be some awful years. You might eventually find your way there, but it seems like there's way more horror stories and success stories. Obviously Bryson's done something that no one's ever been able to do and probably will never be able to do again. But why do players keep going back to this? Like, like how, how have they not learned from, from, from the past is my question. So this is a cheap shot and it's not going to stop me from, from throwing it out there. I think to some degree, if you think that the people that we're really talking about, say 30 or 32 years of age and under, mm -hmm. who would have gone through their formative years in golf idolizing Tiger. And one of the things that Tiger was very open about is 
always being willing to tinker and trying to improve his game. And if that meant switching coaches and leaving Butch and going, you know, to, to any number of different pros afterwards, whether it was Hank Haney and then Chris Coma, like all these, those, you know, successive coaches, then going coach lists. Um, his big motivation was always trying to improve. If you're staying still, then other people are catching up to you. You're always mm-hmm. trying to do something. And if that means going through a swing change, going through a different philosophical change, you know, uh, approach with your game, then if that's going to make you better in the long run, then that's what you do. As everybody is getting longer on the PGA Tour and they're getting, you know, just huge. And right now, Jordan Spieth at 298 yards ranks fifth, excuse me, 95th, pardon me, 95th. Um, when a guy like Victor Hovland, who weighs 165 pounds soaking wet, is putting it out there 301, 302 on average, then if you're somebody who's not known for length, I think that there can be a very real fear that you can do everything right. And numerically, so many players are still going to potentially be able to beat you that you feel compelled, like I have to do something. And if the greatest player, certainly of his generation and arguably, you know, depending on how you want to do it, the number one of the number two player of all time was saying like, what was showing that he wasn't afraid to make changes and has won 15 majors and can do all these things. Then like, I'm going to be willing to do it too. Yeah, Jordan Spieth making some of these things, if he was consciously trying to get longer and he is 24 years old, there's every reason to believe he has two decades, barring major injury, two decades more in his PGA Tour career. Go ahead and make the change now. I, I get it. Um, but it's sort of like equipment changes. Guys go out and win big championships and big tournaments, win a lot of money, you know, do do whatever. And then they switch around their equipment in a big way, not just like a new driver or something like that. Yeah. Like they, do, they do the big overhaul. And we've seen that's worked in some cases. We've also seen where any number of different players have really struggled for a year or two. Rory struggled after, um, you know, he he left Nike for obvious reasons, stuff like that. Went to day, like it was, a, it was a difficult thing. Graham McDowell wins the U.S. Open in 2010 at, at Pebble Beach, leaves Callaway, goes to Strixon. It was, was a little bit of drift. We, we have seen this time and time again. Francesco Molinari, he who must top his fairway wood off the first tee, which made me feel so good about myself. It's so relatable. I, I love it when the pros are just like us. I love it. He 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 has one equipment manufacturer um, that he's playing with. He switches years, and he's had not quite as much success. I mean, we've seen this time and time again. But these guys are talented. And in the equipment game, um, I think that they can get a lot of customized stuff, and it's a lot of money. When they try and chase distance, I think more often than not, they – don't feel that it's going to maybe be something in the short run that's going to be great for them, but in the long run, yeah. that, that it's going to be something that, that, that they feel they need to do. Otherwise, if they just stay where they are, everybody else keeps improving, getting longer. It's going to be a struggle. Well, and and I guess it's just, I mean, they, that, that, I guess that's just my frustration. And thing is, it's like he won 11 times over four years. So it's like, so it's, it's not like he was getting past. It's not like guys were beating him. He was beating most people. So that, that's, oh, that's yeah. So it makes sense when you say, okay, well, in the long term, if I can get this for two decades, you know, the, the long term benefits are going to outweigh the short term negatives. I guess that makes sense. But it's still like just looking at how good he was. Like if he really did try and go after distance like that, like a lot of people hypothesize and say and stuff like I, I still just don't get it. But whatever he seems to be, is he back? Is he not back? I can't stand that question because he's never going to be the guy that we saw winning at that clip. I don't think again, but it's just it's regardless, it's fun to see him, you know, competing again.
So I I talked to him after the Saturday round at, I forget if it was the Barclays at that time or if it was Northern Trust. It was at Old Westbury on Long Island. before The Mm -hmm. the tournament has a rotation, and they're not going back to that golf course. The PGA Tour guys hated it. Um, (laughs) Where it's now TPC Boston and Liberty National and Ridgewood. And I talked to him, and and he was in contention. He ended up losing that one in a playoff to Dustin Johnson. Mm -hmm. DJ goes over the pond on a line that nobody saw because all of a sudden the wind switched up. Jordan realizes it in the playoff and the hole is not playing downwind. And if Dustin Johnson had taken the same line out to the right of the pond that everybody was taking, he would have blown it through the fairway and been in the junk and advantage speed. He realized the wind switched up, went further left and absolutely just obliterated a drive like 325, 330 yards in the air and set up like a lob wedge into you know, like a 450 or whatever it was, par four, and he wins. I talked to Spieth afterwards and was saying to him that um, while everybody sort of admires the putts and he was making, you know, every 15 and 20 footer on the planet that he saw, at the time he ranked number one in strokes gain approach the green. And I've said a bunch of times in this podcast, if there's one statistic other than money that every pro really wants to lead in, it's strokes gain approach the green. That means that you are giving yourself more opportunities to make birdies more mm-hmm. chances to shoot lower scores, more chances to avoid putting squares on your scorecard yeah. than pretty much anybody else. And and he looked at me and he's like, yeah. And he had a big grin on his face. And he <laughs> loved the fact that like I wanted to talk to him about that rather than making more putts because that was really what separated Jordan Spieth at that point from everybody yeah. else is that he had this wonderful putter and he was making him all over the place. But he didn't have to rely on it to be successful because his yeah. iron game was so good. And if he gets back to being a top 20 in strokes gain approach guy, then Jordan Spieth will re-solidify himself. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, a top three, top five player. And there's a lot of talent that he's going to have to get over. Um, but he's a strong guy. He's a good course management guy. And he's already got multiple majors. He's one major championship away um, from completing the career grand slam. You know, as Steve DeMegalo and I talked about last week, um, Rory McIlroy, everybody talks about that at the Masters, um, but career, completing the career Grand Slam. It's such a short list of players who have done it. Yeah. Jordan Spieth's only one away. You know, yeah. if he wins at Kiowa, it's done. And yeah. no one's talking about that. And I totally get it. They shouldn't be talking about it. But that doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. So um, Pebble Beach is a venue. Let's talk about this for a second. Is that the best from in terms of like just a dramatic like the reason why you own a nice big screen TV, is that the best looking golf course that the PGA Tour plays on? It ha- it, it's got, if it's not, it's got to be the top three, right? <laughs> yeah. love, I mean, I love the Masters. I love Augusta. I think it's more the history of it and stuff that I dig in. But I mean, they, and some of the camera shots that they were getting this year and some of the drone footage and stuff that they got was just incredible. And the, the weather wasn't fantastic, so it kind of took away a little bit of it there. But I mean, just... Pebble is just so picturesque and beautiful. I will never forget this. So the Woodard family did a vacation uh, back in the day when we, when I was growing up, we flew into San Francisco, spent a couple of days there and it was like a 10 day maybe vacation. And we just nice. drove on the coast. Right. So we went from there, from uh, San Francisco down to San Diego, made some stops along the way. We obviously didn't get to play Pebble, but we did play the part three there. Um, we went out, had some drinks on the patio and stuff. And I, my parents had some drinks. I so probably had a, <laughs> Nice little Pepsi or something because I was a little kid back. Um, not to want to get my parents in trouble or anything like that, but 
it was beautiful. And I, I will never forget seeing that place for the first time and just thinking like, oh, like this is this is a golf course. Because I, I grew up, you know, growing in, in Akron, Ohio. You know, we went to to the to Firestone for, you know, the Bridgestone Invitational and stuff. That was the only like pro level golf course I had ever seen. And nothing against the good people at, at Firestone Country Club in Akron, but my God, Pebble, just it's just in a whole other league of its own. So if it's not the best course they play, it sits in the top three. But it's every year it just doesn't disappoint. I think the, the the ability to have drones providing footage to the live broadcast is yeah. really cool. To be able to see Daniel Berger's uh, Eagle Pot Sunday on eighteen from a camera that is basically hovering over the Pacific Ocean and over the breakers yeah. on the wall is really cool and we've, we've seen that now on a couple different broadcasts and i think it I, I love it i think it's great i've been at tournaments where those drones are buzzing around and sometimes drones can be loud those are relatively quiet and i think they also position them far enough away and there's probably mm -hmm. either a written or an unwritten rule that says you're not going to bug the players with these stupid things so yeah. get them far away get them good enough cameras where you can get the shot because you want a big dramatic shot the reason why you yeah. want something up high is to show the the vastness you want to set yeah. the, the the big picture you don't need you know a close-up and, and get a drone to get that you've got camera people that are all over the place um I, I think it is i think it's the most dramatic golf course that they play you can argue that yes of course augusta national is with the flowers and what we're going to have hopefully in april it's going to look sensational and sometimes when you get the open championships i i think obviously the old course at st andrews looks great i'm partial myself uh to royal burkdale I, yeah, I, I was just going to say, yeah, Burke, Burkdale was incredible. Yeah, Burke, Burke, Burkdale's great. I've been on the grounds there. It's it's unbelievable. Um, funny story. So I don't know that I've told this one on the podcast before. So the first time that I played Pebble was in 2003. And I got to go on one of the better boondoggles that I've ever been on, where I attended the Pebble Beach Golf Academy for four days, which basically involved taking lessons um, on the range at Spyglass Hill, during the mornings, having a mm -hmm. lovely lunch, and then going out and playing the golf courses at the resort as playing lessons. So 18 holes with a pro. And so I played Spyglass, Spanish Bay, and then Pebble Beach each day with the director of golf, a guy named Laird Small, who had just, I believe, the, the year before, I think in 2002, he won the PGA of America's National instructor of the year so he has the big mm -hmm. ring on and Laird <laughs> is one of the all-time most gracious great guys you could ever meet um Dan Pascarolo was was there he was one of the young instructors it was a great experience so we're we're playing Pebble Beach and somehow I end up playing well and we're, we're playing a couple holes and funny stories where we played Laird and myself and these two women who were probably at the time in their late 50s early 60s who loved golf but go on a uh, a golf vacation together they're college friends both of them are heart surgeons which is good because you would have a heart attack if you saw the price tag for this experience um and they just decided they wanted to go and at the ninth hole like you know we're all like oh wasn't this great tenth hole they're like okay hey let, let's let's play a match mm -hmm. and um laird has already pitched in from the bunker on five for a birdie and we're like, okay, great. We're, we'll play for drinks afterwards. Cool. So we go out, we're playing, and Laird and I, I think, are one up on 16, and I make a par to have the hole, and they press going to 17. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, these these women are like, they're they're in it. And Laird, <laughs> yeah. 
17, I I hit a god awful. I think I hit something that Francesco Molinari did, but I did it with an iron from like 165 or something. It was just awful. So I was out of the hole. Laird dumps it in the bunker short, and the hole was cut right in the middle. So it's in sort of a, a, a number eight shaped green. Mm-hmm. And when it's in the middle, you can't be short and you can't be long, but you can miss long left and you can miss short right. Laird was not in a good position. They're cackling. They're running with the mouth. Laird pitches in for the second time from the sand. And he just like holds up the ring and he's like giving it, you know, the Il Duce, you know, kind of thing. And it was great. We we're walking up 18. We're the last group. And this is literally like out of like a Bagger Vance kind of moment. We're walking up. The sun is setting. Last group on 18 and such like that. And we get there. We put out, shake hands. I turn around. There is a guy standing there with a silver platter with a bottle of Dom Perignon and four glasses that somehow they had hooked up like to get the bottle of Dom out to the 18 green. So we're it's now dark and we're like toasting to a great time. And I'm like, it's pretty much downhill from here. I'm yeah. getting paid to go on this experience to write about this experience, you know, for l- later on. And uh, yeah, I'm having this this bottle of Dom and the surf is pounding and we're about to have dinner you know, in the lodge, I'm like, yeah, pretty much pack it in after this trip. So, it was, it was so, an all time great boondoggle. So, were you, so remind me, were you at the uh, Ryder Cup in Paris? I did not go to Paris. No. As the one person yes. I think on the staff who speaks French, I was guess, not there. Guess who did? Oh, you went. Oh. Nice. I went, but working, working with our, our colleagues at USA Today at the time, uh, I got the, I got the call to go over there. That was the, the first golf tournament I've ever covered. <laughs> cup in paris so when you say like like you've made it i will never forget walking into that media center for the first time and being like oh oh this is this is the big leagues here like 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 this is the real deal i think i had been a reporter for three years at that time with usa today it was like my first like huge trip that i had gone on and i walk in and i see our old you know editor roxana scott who was my editor then at the time i see was like this is this is incredible. Like, I, I don't think that I'm ever going to be able to top this, you know, journalistically. So to start my golf career there, I kind of get the same thing that you did where it's like in that moment, you think like it doesn't get any better than this. Like this is the peak of, of what we're doing here. So for the PGA tour players who played last week at the Pebble beach pro am was the peak of it having no ams in the field. Do you think like, how much do you think the guys enjoyed that? And what did we learn about this tournament when there was no Don Cheadle, Huey Lewis or Bill Murray? I'm not going to allow any Huey Lewis slander. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I, I will not allow any Huey Lewis slander at all. Um, but no, I, I understand the aspect of the pro-am. I, I absolutely get it. I think a lot, I think some of the guys enjoy it. You know, uh, some of them, you know, talked about it. Jordan even talked about, you know, how he's comfortable when he's out there playing with, you know, DJ and Wayne and stuff almost every year. You know, I talked to, you know, Max Homa and he was, used to play with Aaron Rodgers and stuff like that, his buddies and stuff. I think some of the guys missed it, but for most of them, it feels like a lot of these pro-ams are kind of more of a chore. Whereas, you know, it's, it's a, it's a part of the, it's a part of the gig. They have to do it. Um, it can be fun or it can be awful for me seeing the tournament at Pebble. I think it's always kind of taken away from it in a way, because you don't get to see the golf course. You don't get to focus on all the guys that are there. And granted it wasn't the best field. So maybe that would might've been for the best thing, but to be able to truly focus on the tournament this year, I think completely set this tournament away aside from all the other ones to truly focus on the stories and the guys that are playing to truly focus on the course. And I even think having it 
on just the two classes on Spyglass and at and at Pebble and now doing it at Monterey. It really showed the focus of those two courses. Nothing against you know Monterey Peninsula CC over there, but it was just a completely different tournament this year. Obviously, without the fans, without the pro am. And I think it was for the benefit. I honestly think it was better. And on top of that, that tee on 10 on Sunday pushed up. Yeah. Make that a Sunday tee every year. That was incredible. Like I was uh, glued to my TV on, on the 10th hole, just seeing how guys were going to attack it. It's a terrifying tee shot. I would, I would Francesco Molinari top it onto the beach, no question. But it's, it was an incredible tournament this year. And I think it was for the benefit of not having a program, to be honest. Yeah, I think in some ways some guys are going to be able to concentrate more. I can tell you that uh, yeah. the rounds... <clears throat> during the uh, during the program are long, and depending yeah. on what the weather is, it's never warm. Some days are just less cold than others. Um, I was at the tournament one year, and uh, was I, I snuck in? I was friends with the people who ran the MetLife Blimp program, so I snuck into the um, the chalet that they had around seventeen that was being sponsored by MetLife. I grabbed some coffee and I grabbed a hot dog or whatever the heck it was. And there were six groups backed up on 18 green, or excuse me, on 18 T, waiting to tee off. Jerry Kelly jumps in there, eats, like, I'm not making this up, eight, probably like a half a dozen fried oysters, let out the biggest fart you've ever heard in your life, and then ran out. And I'm like, what the hell just happened here? We just, we just literally like, you know, got crop dusted by Jerry Kelly in, in, the, in this luxury box. Um, it was just, but the point is, like those rounds take forever, and when yeah. it's fifty degrees and it's drizzly, spitting like you know rain, and the air is always heavy, obviously yeah. being run in the ocean, it's it can take what should be a really special, great round and turn it into something that becomes more of an obligation. It's not going to be a chore. I mean, let's let's this is yeah. this is not even a first world problem. This is the one half of the top one percent problem. Yeah, but. I think that sometimes it can take guys who would ordinarily play well a little bit out of their rhythm. You have to have a certain yeah. mindset. There is no coincidence that like Tiger is not ever playing this tournament. He's just not going to do it. Um, yeah. There are a couple other guys who thrive in it. Phil Mickelson thrived in it. Marco Mira thrived in it. I think Jordan mm -hmm. Spieth and Dustin Johnson do well in it. But there are some mindsets that just don't translate well to this. And I, I'll be interested to sort of see, you know, like a year from now, what changed? I think that they certainly want to bring in the the celebrities back. It's part of the culture of that tournament, um, yeah. dating back obviously to the Crosby Clambake. There are so many great memories of it, but I don't mm -hmm. know that everything that necessarily has a history has to have a future like that. Things can yeah. adapt, and I'm open to things, but um, it was interesting. Speaking of the future and adapting, we now know that we're going to have lasers that are going to be used at the PGA Championship and other championship events run by the PG of America. What's your take on that? Do you like the idea of using distance measuring devices in championships? I don't hate it. Um, I don't think it's going to speed up play like a lot of people seem to think it's going to. Um, I think it's you're still going to have guys talking about numbers. As someone who struggles with a rangefinder sometimes to lock in on the target sometimes, it takes me a while every once in a while to do it. But I think it, it kind of takes away from – the skill of being able to pace off a distance and being able to think like, Hey, like this is where we need to hit it to. And it, will it lead to better scores? I think so. We guys are going to have more exact numbers probably, but I honestly don't, it's, does it matter to me? Yeah. Man, like I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact to be honest. I think the guys are using them already and you're using, they're using them in college all the time anyways. So if you, if you've got the ability to use it, why not? I don't think it's the biggest deal. Then again, I'm not the, I'm not the golf purist guy. You know, I'm not the guy 
who's completely entrenched into the the old school ways of golf. I like seeing the game progress. I like seeing it open it up to a new audience. Um, so I, I mean, you're you're more the guy. I'm more curious to hear what you have to say. To be honest, you're the you're the equipment guru of the golf week here. But I, I'm kind of ambivalent. I don't really care. I'm just meh. I think if uh if it's kept to one tournament a year, then no, we're not going to see play getting speeded up. I I I don't buy the the fact that like you know the the distance measurement is a skill because first and foremost the there's not going to be a slope function that that is now in most yeah. laser range functions. You're not going to be able to enable that. So it's going to be turned off. So it's just basically going to be straight line distance. It's 150 yards. It's 162 yards. It's going to be whatever it's going to be. Okay. You're telling me that like most of these guys with the with the players going to courses that generally speaking they have already been to before. We go to most of the time the same courses. The caddies, yeah. if it's a new course, are already stepping this up. They're bringing yardage books from previous years to this one. They've got every number. They know yeah. from this bush to that bush. They, they've already got this stuff. So yeah. I, I don't think it's going to speed up play if it's one turn. Now, if the PGA Tour adopts this and starts using the local rule that guys can use it every week, then I think it would speed up play because people would have more faith in the numbers and they would be more used to the flow of it. It would become more a part of their routine. Now, the caddy's going to want to laser it off. The player's going to want to laser it off to verify to see themselves. You know, it's going to, you know, the trust between the caddy and the player. I mean, I, I don't know. We'll sort of see how that's going to work out because it's going to be a new way for people to do it. I can tell you, having walked a lot of practice rounds with players, especially at major championships, they're lasering everything. Everything, yeah. And the caddies, when the players are are not out on the golf course, groups of caddies, when I was, for example, at Winged Foot, um, I would see like groups of three or four caddies going out with potentially a beverage in, in, in the back pocket, lasers and notebooks. And they're just yeah. scribbling things, walking down the middle of fairways, zapping every little thing, scribbling down, having a sip, and then they would keep on their merry way. And um, it's... It's something they've already had access to so much. Yeah. And also the other thing to remember is that this is really only going to help when you have direct line of sight. If you hit it into the junk, and granted, there's not a lot of trees at Kiowa, which is where we're going to yeah. be on the ocean course. But if you were to do this at different venues and you're out of direct line of sight, the laser doesn't work. You're then going to have to yeah. move over and then do a quick little guesstimation based on where you know that point is going to be to where you actually are. Um I guess my thing is I'm I'm all for it because I don't see anything against it. And the yeah. more that, that lasers are incorporated into golf on a week-to-week -week basis at the PGA Tour, the LPGA Tour, the European level, I'm all for it. I, I don't think yeah. that the, the ability to gauge whether a distance is 143 yards or it's 145 when it's actually 144 – I, I get it. These guys are really good and these gals are really good, but that's not what I want to see. I want to see them execute shots. Yeah. That's and what I, I want to do. I guess follow up to that. That totally makes sense. And I guess I, I didn't really quite think that through with, you know, they already know all these numbers anyways. I just kind of like, I guess I like seeing the conversation of the guys trying mm -hmm. to work out. And I, guess, I love seeing the player caddy conversation. That's one thing we've seen without fans. The, the increase of player caddy conversations. Give me all of those. Yeah. Like, guys could be mic'd up and we could hear that more often. I want to go back to something you said about the slope function though. And this is just me not quite knowing all, I guess, all the news for what's going to happen. Are they going to have like set range finders that guys can use that have those, like, that don't have those like built in? Or is it going to be on the honor system that, you know, some guys who might be a little flexible with the rules of golf might turn that on every once in a while? How's that going to work? So I don't have one right here, but almost every laser range finder that has the ability to 
give you sort of a playing distance, which not only takes into account the straight line distance, but also whether you're uphill or downhill. Yeah. Has a button or some type of a mechanism that makes it very easy to see from a distance whether that function is engaged or has been disabled. Some of them will have a different class that goes literally on the top. It'll have a big red, almost like a, a circular piece that snaps into place. Interesting. That, that disables it. So it's very easy to see like, hey, he's got a laser rangefinder. It happens to be this brand. And I can see that it's got this yellow or red or whatever ring around the outside. He's good to go. Or there's a big red sliding button on the side. And when you hold it up and you shoot the laser, you can see very clearly like that thing is disengaged. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I, okay. I would be really, really surprised. Um, and I also don't know if a lot of players are going to, would have a tremendous amount of faith in this. Um, I talked to Ricky Fowler about this one year and he and his caddy, Joe Stravone, um, have their own slope thing because they told me playing, and I did this at the Masters, the 18th hole is a tremendous uphill at Augusta National and they yep. have zapped it using the laser rangefinder that they use that that can enable slope. And Joe told me, he's like, oh, it, it from where we usually are, it adds about eight to nine yards more distance to the straight line because of the severity of the uphill slope. He's like, yeah. but we know it's actually about 15 for our game, that yeah. we play it even more. So they've already made the conscious like adjustment to what the system is telling them, which doesn't yeah. mean that the system's inaccurate. It just means that the way that Ricky is flighting he the ball and he yeah. plays the ball, he has to add a little bit more. Um, they've all got this stuff down. And yeah. I really don't think... There's not going to be like one laser rangefinder that everybody gets handed when they go out, they get their scorecard, they get their pencil, and you get your laser. They're going to get to use whatever one they want so long as the slope functionality, if it is in there, is disengaged and is not activated. And that'll gotcha. be pretty simple to do. Gotcha. Um, Riviera, one of my favorite courses. We're finally back at Riv, the Genesis Invitational. Um, this is an absolute jewel. We've got a tremendously good field. Mm -hmm. Before I mentioned Mr. Spieth, we'll see if we can make it three in a row. Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, Bryson DeChambeau will be trying to hit them basically from Hollywood to Tijuana. Um, <laughs> we're going to have Rory McIlroy, a great field. Um, what are you anticipating? Give me a quick little Adam Woodard, tasty amuse-bouche to what you're looking forward to most when uh, the guys are pegging it up here at the Genesis. Like you said, just a smorgasbord of talent. Like we, This is the first time I think we've sensed probably the Masters that we've seen everybody back together. And I think I could not be more excited to see what these guys are going to do. And we're seeing a lot of guys who are in really good form. Um, you know, Rory's last six starts on tour, his worst finish is T21. And that's that he hasn't won, but he's playing consistently well. DJ, it's he's not it's not like it's Tiger, you know, when he shows up, everyone's playing for second. But this might be the closest thing we've had with how good DJ's been recently with if you show up like smart money's on DJ, like you're not going to get the best odds for it. But chances are he's going to be the guy holding the trophy. Uh, JT has been in some pretty good form. We're, there's so many good players that it's it's tough to choose from, but it's gonna it's gonna be some great golf. We've seen some foreshadowing this thing this year, I think, for just how good guys have been, how the, the how good the time off has been for them. And we're seeing guys are healthy, guys are motivated, guys are excited to play when they get the chance. Now, I think it's gonna be foreshadowing for some just incredibly great golf going forward for the rest of the year here. But like you said. I haven't seen Bryson hit a bomb in a while. So I'm excited to see how he kind of, and what he's been working on these last couple of weeks and what he's been doing to be able to attack that golf course. But the one thing I will say, and I'm going to give myself a slight little, uh, slight little pitch here. I interviewed Max Homa yesterday. Max is an incredible guy. 
He's been in some incredibly great form leading up to this too. He loves Riviera more than anything. He's just seems like there's one little thing that's just not quite there to get him back into the winner's circle. But I think Max could be a guy that we could see this week too. That's really gonna really could impress people. He seems comfortable. He seems relaxed. He's going to a place he loves more than anywhere. So I'm, I'm very excited to see that too. It's such a unique golf course. It's a real treasure. I, I, I wish we could play golf courses like this or to this quality yeah. all the time, but there just aren't that many of them. And that's my, yeah. maybe one of the reasons why we need to appreciate when we have a chance to go yeah. from the, the craziness that under a typical year you get at TPC Scottsdale, which is basically like a who concert breaking out. And then, uh, probably dating myself a little bit with that restaurant, but, but suck it up. I, that's what I like to do. So, so, so sue me. Um, then you go into Pebble, which is just regal. And then you go yeah. Blitz and LA into Riv. And um, yeah, it's, it's a special place. Got a great feel. It should be lots of good stuff. Um, I'm sure golfweek.com will be loaded as we always are, thankfully with lots of really cool stuff. And so um, Adam, you have fulfilled your obligation. Thanks very much. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, happy to come on when everyone else says no and be the backup guy for the podcast. I'm happy to do it whenever you need me to. It's usually at the back end of the year when everyone's on vacation, but it's good to get a little February bump here. I, I like I like a man who knows his role in life. That's good. <laughs> That's good stuff. All right. Be well. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it, bud. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.